Well, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. It's so good to see you today. Welcome to non-freezing weather. It's so good to see you. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jernigan. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. and so glad that you guys are here with us today. We are uh, at the beginning, we started last week, we're at the beginning of a series called uh, That Label Doesn't Fit Me Anymore. And what we've been learning is that there are some labels that we have been given, maybe we gave them to ourselves or someone else gave them to us, that we've been wearing and we're learning that by faith in Christ, those old labels don't fit anymore. And man, I'm excited about the life change that happened last week. It's amazing to see people make decisions for Christ last week. And I'm just believing this series is just, it's going to be so potent from God's word that it's going to, it's going to bring a, a different perspective to help us to be able to see ourselves the way that God sees us. And I believe that God is going to do some incredible things to continue to impact and change lives. Some of y'all might need to go tell somebody, invite them to tune in or, or check us out online, which by the way, I want to say a quick thank you. Uh, there's so many things that happen behind the scenes, y'all, that make all of this happen. Um, and I want to say thank you to our comms team and our production team that kind of overlap to make it possible for us to have stuff on YouTube and podcasts so that y'all can go back and rewatch it or share it or send it to somebody. And so thankful for you guys for the way that y'all minister the word as well. Um, but we're going to be diving in today. We're going to be covering a ton of ground. And when a pastor says he's covering a ton of ground, that means you, you need to get your pens ready, your paper, your notebook, however you take notes and get ready, because it means he's going to be working really hard to get done on time. That's, that's inside preacher speak. And so I'm going to be working really hard to get done on time. But I'm just going to tell you, um, I just feel like God has, has given me such an, an incredible message for us today. And it's, it's probably one of the most content dense messages I've ever preached. So if it feels like I'm running, it's because I'm running. I want to get you out of here uh, to be able to go get lunch and all that stuff. But I just believe that God's brought us together and wants to help us see some things from his word today. And uh, some of y'all going to have to go back and rewatch it because it's going to be like drinking from a fire hose. And, uh, and that's just going to how it's going to be. But I just really believe that God has, has a life-changing message in store for us today. Today, we're going to be attacking uh, one of the most profound labels that we as a, a race of people wear. Um, it's, it's a label that can cause a person to think, uh, a person who has suffered uh, abuse or maybe is currently suffering abuse to believe that you deserve that abuse. It's a label that can cause a husband or a wife that's struggling in their marriage right now to believe that you deserve this failing marriage and that a great marriage isn't possible. It's a label that can cause a scorned divorcee to think that whatever it was that caused the marriage to fail, you deserve the life that you're in now. It's a kind of label that can cause a teenager to believe that the, 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 the hurtful thing that a parent said in a moment of anger is what is true about them. It's a label that can cause an addict to feel hopeless, a single person to give up hope to ever find companionship or love. It's a label that can cause a person who feels lonely or isolated or depressed to believe it's just not possible to find a place to belong where people will see me and know me and love me for who I am. I've titled today's message, The Label That Many of Us Wear, and that is The Label of Worthless. Let me ask you, have you ever worn that label? Have you ever been a season where you felt worth less? Maybe you're in a season like that right now and, and, and maybe you wouldn't necessarily identify by the label of worthless, but perhaps you would more identify with its cousins. No good, good for nothing, a nobody from nowhere that'll never amount to anything, 
junk. You see, these are the labels that we have a tendency to wear. These are the labels that at times people will speak into our lives. There are labels that at times that we'll speak into our own lives. And this label in particular is particularly powerful because it speaks to our intrinsic value and worth. And it's a label that the devil of hell will whisper into the quiet moments where you know that you screwed up, you messed up, you failed again, and the devil of hell will whisper into your soul, see, I told you, you're worth less than them. And I don't know if I'm describing, I don't know who I'm describing today, but, but the reality of it is that there's some semblance of truth in this label because it is oftentimes a label that becomes given, a label that becomes evident on the other side of a failure. It's a label that's given sometimes by a verbal barrage, an assault on your, an attack on your character from somebody that, that, that you know or love or that is close to you. Or perhaps it wasn't a verbal assault. Perhaps it was just a single look that spoke a thousand words. And I don't know who I'm describing today. I don't, I don't know who this connects to. I don't know who has been in seasons like this before. I don't know who is in this season now. But if you're here today, either in person or online, and this is a label that you have worn before, or it's a label that you're wearing now, I've come with incredibly good news. It's a lie. It's fake news. And it's not true. And I want to help you see today that a label that we can wear by faith in Christ that, that can not only counteract this label of worthless, but actually demolish it. And if we understand it, if we can wrap our brains around it, it can actually help us get to a point of seeing how there's no place for us to ever identify with that label again. Like I said, we're going to be covering a lot of ground today. We're going to start in Romans chapter eight. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, if not, we're going to have the verses on the screen. Like I said, you're going to want to take notes today. Write down these scripture references um, and, and go back and check them out. Go back and watch the message again um, and, 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 and kind of play catch up that way. But we're off and running. If you're with me, let me hear you say labels. There we go. Romans chapter eight, it says, for as many as are led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm not going to bury the story. I'm not going to bury the headline. I'm going to tell you right off the bat, here's the label that God wants you to have. He wants you to know that in Christ, you can be a child of God. He wants you to understand that, that, that this label changes everything. And here's what I believe. I believe that there is no other label that carries as much power or as much privilege as the label child of God. The problem is, is that most people don't understand the power of this label and, and almost nobody understands the privilege that comes with it. I believe that God sent me with a message to help change that today. So I want you to, want you to see this, is that God wants us to become the children of God, to become child of God. Notice he tells us how. How do we do that? All right, God, how do we become a child of God? How can I know that I'm a child of God? Well, he tells us, let's look at the verse again. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so you, maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm a child of God. I mean, you know, at one time I was at that place and I prayed that prayer. And so, you know, I'm good, right? Preacher man, I need to know, can I have your validation that I'm good? Well, that's not how it works. 
Some people would ask, well, aren't we all children of God? No, we're not. We are all created by God, but only those who are led by the Spirit, only those that have trusted in Christ for salvation are the children of God. And I talk to so many people and sometimes they're curious, like, how do I know if I'm really saved? I mean, I, I think that at one time I said a prayer, but you know, how can I really know? And, and, and here's the deal. There's only two people that can really ever know if you're truly saved and that's you and God. Nobody else can validate that for you. And, and at times it can be difficult for us to know. And so what God has done, because he loves us, because he's not an author of confusion, he wants us to know that we are uh, sons, or God, sons of God or daughters of God, that we belong to the family of God. He's given us this litmus test. And here's the litmus test. He says, for as many as are led by the spirit are the children of God. Well, what does that mean? I mean, that's, that, that's kind of really ambiguous. And, and I'll tell you, as a pastor, when you start talking about something as personal as whether or not someone is saved or not, someone knows Christ or not, has the hope of heaven or not, and, and you're trying to describe something as ambiguous as being led by the Spirit of God, well, that's really difficult. So what I want to do today is I want, to, I want to maybe put some handles on this litmus test to try to help you evaluate, are you truly a child of God? And, and here are some things, if you're led by the Spirit of God, here are some things that the Spirit of God will do in our life. The Spirit of God will woo us to do what is right when everything in us wants to do what is wrong. When we get to a point where we do something that's wrong because it's inevitable, it's going to happen. Hello, I'm, I'm your pastor and I screw up. I don't know how many times I didn't keep a list this week, but I'm thankful for the grace of God that forgives me for my screw-ups. And the Spirit of God will go, hey, you screwed this up, you messed it up. And the Spirit of God will never bring condemnation and shame for what you messed up, but the Spirit of God will bring conviction where you go, oh my goodness, God, I messed that up. I didn't just, you know, offend my wife, but I actually sinned against you. And the Spirit of God will draw us back to him and say, God, I was wrong, I sinned, would you forgive me? The Spirit of God will lead us to have a desire and a, and, and a yearning and a craving for a closer relationship with Jesus. The Spirit of God will, will woo us and draw us to want to spend time in prayer, want to spend time in worship and, and, and serving and giving and attending church. And, and it's, not that, it's not that we do those things because that's what a good Christian is supposed to do, but at some point the Spirit of God brings a desire where, where there's a yearning in your soul of the way that you desire a cold glass of water on a hot summer's day. The Spirit of God will help you realize that there is a yearning in your soul and he will draw you to the Word of God, to prayer, to worship, to serving, to to giving as the, the satisfaction of that yearning. And it all draws us to be closer to Jesus. And I just have to ask this question today. Do you feel the pull and the tug of the Spirit of God in any of these ways? There are other ways, but these are the most profound, most concrete ways that I could think of this week to help paint what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. And can I just tell you today that as I went through that list, if your answer is like, I don't really know that I felt that. I don't really know what that feels like. I don't know that I've experienced that. Can I just tell you as lovingly as I possibly can, I would encourage you to seriously consider whether or not you are truly a child of God. Can I tell you that one of the things that I fear the most and one of the things I could not live with myself is if somebody, if you sat under my preaching and attended this church for any amount of time, all the while believing I'm good, only to find out after it's too late that you're not. I talk to so many people that say I'm good, I go to church and I do the things, the Jesus stuff. 
I go to, I, you know, I, I'm there every time the, the doors are open. I serve, I give, I pray, I do all the things. And man, can I just tell you that, that sitting in a church does not make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. That's not how it works. The, 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 something has to happen. A moment where you cry out to God for salvation. And if you're here today, and you don't feel that, man, can I just tell you, I'm begging you, and the Spirit of God, I believe today, is begging you, would you consider your salvation? And whether or not you truly are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, then I believe that there are some critical things that you have to understand that will shape and change the way that you live. God begins to help us understand this in the next verse, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, meaning you're not a slave, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Man, what an incredible picture that God is painting of what, what took place, what happens when in order for you to become a child of God. Many of us are familiar with the, 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 the system of adoption that it usually it's a, it's a person or a couple that is looking to have a child for whatever reason they're unable to. Um, uh, there are other reasons why people adopt, but that seems to be the most prominent. And usually what happens is, is they're looking to find a child who for one reason or another um, has a mother or a father who either is incapable or does not desire to have them as a child. And so uh, these, these parents will go and they'll find the child and they'll adopt them into their family. But in the first century Rome, there are some similarities to the adoption system, but there are also some significant differences. In first century Rome, when, when this was written, the, the, the process of adoption, when someone was adopted, then, then it basically severed all of the, the financial and relational ties and name-oriented ties to their old family. Basically, they're no longer a part of that family anymore, and they've taken on the, the new name and, and the new identity of this family. But, but where things begin to get a little bit different is in the first century form of adoption in Rome, what happened is, is that when somebody was adopted, then all of their debts and all of their obligations that they carried with them were canceled. We talk a lot about canceling stuff today, but that's a good kind of cancel. Now, for you, that might seem weird because you're like, well, I mean, I mean, how much debt can a baby rack up? Some of y'all know exactly how much debt a baby can rack up if you, if you gave your kid the phone and they got into the app store and just started buying stuff. But see, here's the significant difference. What we're familiar with adoption is adults trying to adopt a child, but in the first century Rome, adoption was primarily done where there was a, usually a man, who did not have an heir with which to pass down an inheritance to. And so then they would go find another, usually a man, who was usually a slave. Oftentimes, it was one of his own slaves. And he would adopt that slave, this grown adult slave, into his family. And the name ties were gone. The relational ties were gone. All of his debts and obligations were gone. In first century Rome, the way that they did adoption is they went and found a slave and they made them their son. What an incredible picture. And any slave in the Roman culture who would have been adopted, listen, here's what they would have known. They would have known there's no way I could have got here on my own. 
I've been a slave my whole life. I was born a slave. I've grown up a slave. I have lived as a slave. And maybe I get some some additional responsibility to be in charge of other slaves, but there's no changing it. I am a slave. That's who I am. That's who my parents were. That's who their parents were. My brothers and sisters, that's who we are. We're slaves. And we see the people who live in the big house and we, we wish that we could be there, but there's nothing I could ever do as a slave to ever cause me to move from the slave house to the big house. They would have known some sort of transaction that was outside of their control would have been required to take place in order for this to happen. And as soon as it did, then the relationship that they had with what used to be their slave master is now radically different. They don't, they don't refer to now their father as their slave master in these cold formal titles. Instead, they refer to them lovingly and affectionately. And what God is saying right here in this verse is that what he has done is he has adopted us into his family so that we can become the children of God and that his desire is not our relationship would be cold and formal and distant, but that we would cry out, Abba, Father. That's the same thing if you're a parent. That's the same thing as that sound that you hear when your babies say, Daddy or Mommy. It's a term of closeness, affection, trust, and love. And I believe that God so desperately wants you to understand what this means to be a child of God. I believe that there are too many Christians who don't understand what it means to be a child of God. And because you don't understand what it means to be a child of God, you continue to live in some old labels. I want to help you understand what this means today. And I was working through and praying through, God, how can I, how can I explain this? How, is there a metaphor, an example that I can use? And God gave me one, and I was like, there it is. Um, so I'll just ask, any, any, any Downton Abbey fans in the house? Downton Abbey, you can make some noise. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you right now, some of y'all are going to take my man card, and I don't even care. <laughs> Jessica and I both, we're boring, okay? We're not very exciting, one of the things that we love to do, we like to sit and watch a show together. And uh, a few years ago, we started watching Downton Abbey, and I liked it. I'll hold on to my man card. I don't know where it is at the moment. I think Jessica has it. Um, <laughs> but, I, but we enjoyed it. But man, can I just tell you, like, I'm just real talk for a second. Man, the first couple of episodes, we had no idea what the heck was happening. I mean, I kid you not, we put, on, we put the uh, subtitles on because we couldn't understand the accent. And then we were, we were, they would talk about stuff and like, what, is, what that is? I don't know what that is. And so we would pause and start Googling. What is a Lord? What's the difference between a Lord and a Duke? Oh, I had no idea. And so we were watching this thing and, and, and here's the thing that was kind of crazy. You know, it's, it's set during the, the British Empire and the monarchy and all this stuff. And, and what's crazy is, is how many people make such a big deal about being married into a certain family. You get married into a certain family that comes with, you know, it, it, it allows you to adjust or to change your station in life. It, it allows you to have uh, a different position and different, different um, responsibility. And, and ultimately what it does is it, it allows people to, who, who sometimes don't have a position or a title to be able to earn the right and the stuff that comes with having a position and a title. And so we were watching this. It's really fascinating. I mean, you know, growing up and living in a democratic capitalistic society, this, this, so much of this just doesn't make sense. 
I mean, by and large, in America, uh, you know, whether you grew up in the backwater sticks like I did in Arkansas, or you grew up in the middle of the urban core of any city in the, in the country, or you grew up in suburbia, like by and large, there are all kinds of resources where, um, you know, if you do your best and you work hard, um, some people might have, uh, you know, some, some more obstacles than others, but there are opportunities. We hear about these stories all the time, all the time where the, the situation you're born into does not have to be the, the condition of your life forever. That you can, you, can, you can do some things to kind of improve your life and in, improve your, I guess, your value as it relates to society. That's totally different into a monarchy. It's all about position and title and who you're born into and who you marry and all that stuff. Here's another show that we watched. How many of you have watched The Crown? Anybody? Yeah. Fewer people watch The Crown. It's not as good. It's not as good. No offense. It's not as good. And uh, man, that was crazy watching that show. Well, here's what I learned from that. Like, it, it doesn't matter what gifts or talents or abilities you are, uh, you have or you're born with. Um, pretty much all that matters is who your mama and your daddy is. Like, I don't know Prince Charles personally, right? And so I reserve the right, should I ever meet him, and I'm not holding my breath, uh, to change my mind. But the way that they depict Prince Charles in this show, listen, I wouldn't want that dude to be the king of my HOA. And if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Y'all ain't seen the show, it doesn't make any sense. Seven of us are laughing and having a good time right now. But I wouldn't want that joker to be the, HOA, the king of my HOA, much less the king of a nation and the king of people. And then what I learned by that is like, who, who your parents are, what your last name is really all that matters. It doesn't matter what your gifts or abilities or competencies are. It's just a matter of who you're born to. Watching these shows has helped me have a better understanding of what it means to be a child of God. And I want to help you have a clearer understanding of that as well. And so I want to share with you four things. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. Um, I want to share with you four things that, that, that I think are privileges of being a child of God that I believe that most Christians do not understand and do not walk in under this label of child of God. And the first privilege that I want to help you understand is that you have a, as a child of God, you have a position and a title. Check out what Romans eight seventeen says. It says, and if children, then heirs, there's your position. You are an heir. What kind of heir? An heir of God and joint heirs with Christ. Meaning you, we get the opportunity to be an heir with Christ when, when all of this comes to an end and Revelation talks about the new heaven and the new earth, there is a position reserved for you as a follower of Jesus. It's, it's acceptable, it's available to you, but it's conditional on, notice what the rest of it says, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What this means is, is that if you in this life are willing to stand firm on the gospel of Jesus and not be ashamed of Jesus, if you'll stand firm on the word of God, and at times it's going to mean that you're going to face decisions where standing for the cause of Christ is going to cost you something personally, and if you're willing to endure that, to the extent that you're willing to endure that, will be to the extent that you will have a position in heaven when your time comes. That's your position. Now let me share your title. First Peter 2 tells us, but you are a chosen generation. Like, listen, I don't care if somebody says that I don't like you. I don't care if someone says I'm done with you. I don't care if someone says you're worthless or good for nothing. God says you are chosen. He also says that you're a royal priesthood. Hello, a holy nation. This word holy, by the way, just means set apart. 
that you're set apart as the people of God, you are set apart, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his, mar- into his marvelous light. Man, what an incredible declaration. I want to zoom in just for a second on this title, a royal priesthood. You know what that literally means? And I'm going to quote this um, from the people who translate the Greek into the, the English. It literally means, and I quote, and make sure I get this right, that you will function in a ruling capacity as kings. You have a title. It doesn't matter the label that somebody else was put on you. It doesn't matter the label that you have put on yourself because of what's going on in your life. God has given you a title. And I'm trying to help somebody today because there's somebody that's listening to me today that has been living without the understanding that God has called you chosen. You're holy, you're set apart, you're a royal priesthood. You don't know that there's a position waiting for you in heaven and you are living your days and you're living your life in such a way that you're just a no good, nobody, good for nothing, never be anything worthless piece of junk. And I'm just trying to help somebody see that on on the promise of God's word, the authority of God's word, that's not true by faith in Christ. Here's the second thing I want you to see. That God has also given you rights and privileges. Now in the shows, uh, and I'm assuming, I'm not in the British monarchy, so I don't don't have a clue about any of it really. I'm just, you know, if it's on the internet, it's gotta be true. So um, in in the shows, you know, if you're born into the royal family, then then you get rights and privileges. You, You get to live in certain houses, you get to have a certain name, you get to wear certain clothes and have access to certain cars and a stipend to live and you don't really have a job. You just... Wear fancy clothes. I don't understand that. But that's the right and the privilege that comes with you. And as children of God, we have rights and privileges as well, but it looks a little bit different. If you look through the pages of scripture, one of the things that you see consistently from the beginning all the way to the end, Genesis to Revelation, is that God continues to warn us and tell us about the devastating consequences of sin. That God tells us that, that, that sin will always lead to devastation. It will always lead to destruction. It will always lead to the death of something or someone that you care about. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a partnership. Maybe it's a business. I don't know what it is. But sin will eventually always lead to death. And as children of God, we have the right to no longer have to endure and live according to our flesh and do sinful things. And as children of God, we no longer have to endure the consequences and the devastation of sin. Notice what Romans says in Romans 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace you know what this saying is saying that you have the right to no longer be mastered by sin you no longer have to do the sinful things that your body and your flesh so strongly desire to do and we see this we don't just see this in the pages of scripture we see this in life we see that lying uh, destroys trust Lust and infidelity destroys marriages. The love of money destroys businesses and, and, and all types of, uh, of things around us and can lose our life, our financial well-being. You see, we have the right to no longer be mastered by sin, but not only do we have that right, we also have this incredible privilege to be able to live a life 
that is totally different. Where we're no longer waiting for the other shoe to drop as a byproduct of the sinful thing, the wrong thing that we did, that God actually gives us the privilege of living life that is altogether separate and altogether different. He tells us about this in Galatians 5. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Man, th- th- this, is, this is what God promises. This is what God is saying is the privilege of being a child of God. And I'm trying to help somebody today who has been led to believe that a life following Jesus in the Christian life is, is boring and it's lame, must suck to be a Christian, uh, right? But, but here's the deal. What God is saying is, listen, no, 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 that's not it at all because the joy of following Jesus and the joy of following Christ when we begin to live not by the flesh but by the Spirit, when we begin to understand the privilege we have to live a different type of life that we no longer have to sit around in fear and agony and anxiety and concern and worry about what's going to happen because of the thing that I did. If you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to lie to cover up a lie to cover up a lie, you know what that feeling is. God's word is so profound. Notice what it says at the end. He says, against such, against all of these things, the privilege that you have as a child of God to live by the fruit of the spirit, there is no law against it. Why? Because there's no way that any of this could ever lead to anything that would ever be wrong. There's no way that any of it would ever be harmful or hurtful to you, to anyone around you, to the world at large. If you live according to the fruit of the Spirit, then you have this privilege of experiencing a life that is void of the consequences and the confusion and the chaos and the pain of sin. What he's saying is is you don't have to sin. You have the power of God to live different and have an altogether different experience for your life. Come on, I'm trying to help you today. I don't know if this is resonating with you. If this, is, if this is helpful for you, man, let me hear you say amen. Man, God's so desperate for you to know what it means and what it looks like to live as a child of God, what he died for you to have. Here's the third thing. That as a child of God, we have an inheritance. Ephesians 1 says this, in him, that's Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is what this is saying, that in Jesus, we have the ultimate inheritance. There's all kinds of things that you can have an inheritance of. Most of us, as we think about inheritance, we think about some you know, rich family member that maybe we were close to, maybe we weren't, they died and they leave us all this money. That happens rarely. I don't, I've yet to experience that personally. But what God is saying in his word is that we have an inheritance that is far surpasses all of that. That Jesus said in his word that God loved you and loved me and loved the world so much, he sent his son so that we could have eternal life. In John 17, three, Jesus said eternal life is that we could have a close, intimate, personal fellowship and relationship with God and with Jesus. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, here's how you get this. If you want to know about the inheritance that I have, if you want to know about how to get to heaven, if you want to know about how to be close to God, I'm going to tell you, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. If you want to get to God, you go through me. 
And what, God, what Jesus is saying, what God's word is saying, is that he's saying, listen, the greatest inheritance that you could ever possibly imagine has been made available to you by being able to have a relationship with almighty, all-powerful creator God who knows you're, you're rising and you're, you're going down. He knows your, your highs and your lows, what caused you to be upset and what brings you great joy. You get to have a close relationship with that God through Jesus. And if we can just be really, really honest, there's a part of us that will go, amen, praise God, that's awesome. But then there's another part of us that are like, it'd be nice if I could have something that was more tangible though. I mean, the inheritance is being able to have a relationship with a dude that I can't see. Sometimes I don't know how that helps me. Can we just be honest in the house of God that sometimes I wrestle with that? Like God is great, I love, I'm going to heaven, praise God, Amen. But God, sometimes I just, I, I struggle at times to see what the benefit, what the privilege is as I'm living this life today. Great, you saved me from the hell that I was going to, but what about the hell I'm going through? Here's what's crazy about God because of the inheritance that we have. Listen to me. What this means for you as a child of God, it means that every promise that God has ever made that has ever been recorded in his word is accessible and available to you. In other words, anything that you could ever need in any season that you could ever endure or go through God will make readily accessible and available to you, not so that you just survive the season, but so that you can thrive in the season. In other words, what do you need right now? Are you having a hard time with a relationship? Then the inheritance of God is that he said all of the grace and all of the forgiveness and all of the mercy and all of the compassion that you need to be able to endure, whatever it is that they did to you, you have it. And you can thrive in this. You struggling to make a decision? Well, God says that, that divine inspiration and wisdom from the heavens is accessible and available to you as a child of God if you would pray and ask for it. It's yours in the name of Jesus. You want fellowship with God? God seems distant. He seems far away. Then you can have fellowship with God. You can have closeness with God. You can have intimacy with God. As a child of God, it's yours in the name of Jesus when you call out and ask for it. What do you want? You want eternal riches? You want glory? You want to have favor in the eyes of God? You want to be able to, uh, uh, to have the, the power to be able to overcome sin? You want to have the grace to get through a difficult situation? You need, you need kindness to be able to be kind to your boss who sometimes is a jerk? In the name of Jesus, it's yours. You see, this is what it means to have an inheritance that all of the promises of God are accessible and available to all of his children when we ask for it. Why? Because God's desperate for you to understand that he is for you. And he doesn't want you to just survive and get through. He wants you to be able to thrive. Can I tell you, sometimes life just sucks. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it seems like God doesn't even care. But the promise of God when he said that I will draw near to the brokenhearted. When he said, sorrow may last for the night, but joy will come in the morning. 
When he said all things work together for the good of those who love them, who love him and are called according to his purpose, these are the promises of God that it doesn't matter how dark the night is, the promise and the hope of God in the name of Jesus as a child of God, the darkness will not define because the light is coming. This is the inheritance. You might say, that's great, awesome. Uh, what does any of that have to do with the label of feeling worthless, preach man? I'm struggling to see the connection. Well, perhaps the most profound and the most practical of the privileges of being a child of God is found in the last privilege that I wanted to share with you today because I believe it's probably the most impactful. As a child of God, you have value and worth. And I know that sometimes that you're in situations and and you hear the voices of people, you hear the, the voice that echoes in your own mind of your own voice, you hear the whisper from the devil of hell constantly saying, no, 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 you have no worth, you have no value, you are worth less. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're in one of those moments, maybe you're in one of those seasons. I'd love to just give you a truth from God's word, a verse of scripture that you need to memorize. You need to write it down. You need to put it on your rearview mirror. You need to put it on your bathroom window. You need to put it on a poster, a, a postcard, a poster board. You need to do something with it because this voice and this label continues to show up and label you and it's wrong. You have worth and you have value. Romans 8, 32 says, and he, that's God, did not spare his own son, that's Jesus but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What does that mean? Let's go back to the image of adoption that we talked about earlier. A slave who was adopted knows that there was nothing they could do on their own to ever get there. That on their own, they were always going to be a slave. They're always going to be in the slave house. And all the things that are true about a slave will always be true about them unless a transaction happens that is outside of their control, unless a price is paid that they could not pay for themselves. And once that transaction happens, once that price is paid, then what used to be true about them in the past is no longer true about them in the present or the future because they're no longer a slave. They are now a son. And they have all the rights and the privileges that come with being a son and all of the consequences and the pain of being a slave is no more. Let me ask you this question. Do you understand what God has done for you? That God, the, 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 the king of heaven, the master of heaven, who had a son, a perfect son, he looked down from heaven and he saw you and he saw me and he says, I see value and worth in them. And I'm willing to give up my perfect son so that I can buy that slave. God didn't just give up his son. He didn't just part for his son. He allowed his son to die and not just die, but he was, he was brutalized. He was tortured. He was mutilated. Scripture tells us that when Jesus got up on the cross, um, Scripture says that he was beaten to the point where he was hardly even recognizable as being human. 
Because of God's love for you, because of the value and the worth that he saw inside of you, that he placed inside of you when he created you, he was willing to give up his only perfect son so that you would no longer be a slave, but a son, so that you would no longer be dead, but be made alive. See, the problem is, is I don't think that we fully understand this. I don't think that we understand what God was willing to give up. I don't think that we understand that Jesus was willing to give up all that was his right and privilege as the only son of God, as the perfect son of God. He willingly exchanged all of that so that you and I, as the sons of man, could become a son or daughter of God. I don't think that we understand. I don't think that we allow it to fully resonate because there are so many of us that are still trying to live with the slave mentality, believing that I got here because I earned it and the only way I'm gonna stay here is if I keep earning it. That we keep living with a slave mentality that somehow believes that, 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 that I know that, that I have nothing to offer. I know that I don't bring anything to the table, but if I'm good enough, if I do enough right things, if I go to church enough, if I, if I give enough, if I serve enough, if I'm kind enough, if, I, if I'm nice to my boss when he's not very nice to me, if I lay down my rights as a spouse when my spouse is constantly um, lording over me with things, if, 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 I, if I'll just do enough things, then I'll, I'll be able to stay in the presence and the favor of God as a child of God. But here's the problem. You can't keep what you never earned. And when we continue to live with the slave mentality, what happens is, is that label of worthless begins to make sense because we're building it all. My position, my, what, 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 I, what I get in exchange as being a child of God, if I live with the slave mentality, then I continue to live believing that I get what I earn and I know how little I'm worth. And so then we live with this label of worthless, good for nothing, never amount to anything, no good, I'm junk. Can I just tell you something? As lovingly as I know how, can I tell you that I believe that if we, if we, if we truly are the children of God, if you truly have been saved by Jesus, I believe it is an offense to God for us to live that way. I believe it's a spit in his face of saying that we don't understand and we don't recognize and, and, and we, don't, we don't fully conceptualize exactly what God did to make it possible for us to become not a slave, but a son or a daughter, a child, God. And if I may be so bold, I would take it a step further and say, if you are here today and you are basing your relationship with God and what you believe that God looks at you and sees based off of your works and whether or not you do enough right things and whether or not you live the enough right way or whether or not you kick that habit or whether or not you bite your tongue or whether or not you, you ditch pornography or whether or not you get over anxiety, if you are building it all off of your works and that slave mentality, I'm gonna be so bold to say that I believe it's possible that you are not truly a child of God because you don't understand the gospel. The gospel Jesus Christ is not about who you are or what you do. It is all about who he is and what he has done. And you will never live in the peace or the freedom 
with the favor of God, as a child of God. As long as you continue to base your position off of your works and your track record. See, when we understand this, when we understand what it means to be a child of God, we don't walk in pride and arrogance as if we've earned something because we know that we didn't. When we understand what it means to be a child of God, it means that we walk with a humble confidence, understanding that I'm here not because I paid for it, but because somebody else did. And when you begin to understand that it changes Everything you do, the way that you live, the way that you think, the way that you walk, the way that you talk, the way that you make decisions. Let me tell you what it's meant for me as a child of God. I was able to have the authority and the power, even though I was the only Christian on any of my high school sports teams, and I was constantly ridiculed. Why don't you drink? Why don't you come to the party, man? Why don't you get with her, man? That would be good. She's into you, bro. Why don't you go to the parties? Why don't you go do the things? Is there something wrong with you? Do you even know what's going on with this stuff? Do you even like to have fun? At 34 years old, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but at 14, 15, 18, that felt like a big deal. But because I was a child of God, I had the confidence to be able to say, no, 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 no. I'm a child of God. I understand there might be some benefit in the short term of what you're talking about, but I don't want to go through the pain that's gonna come in the long term. I don't want to, I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to be an addict. I don't want to have a baby that, that I, you know, I'm not even married to their mama. I don't want the the consequences and the devastation, destruction that's going to come on the other side of the sin. So as a child of God, I could say, no, I don't have to live that way. There's a different life that God has in store for me that is void of all of those things. I'm going to choose that. As a child of God, I have the authority and the access to figure out how the heck to parent my kids. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Neither does Jess. And can I tell you, I love my kids to death. Sometimes they are, they're, they're, they're each unique, they're each complicated, they're complex, they're special in their own right. They bring so many gifts to the table and there's so many things that I love and care about them. But there are days where I'm like, I love you, but I don't know that I like you. Can I tell you that as a child of God, I have access to divine wisdom from heaven to give me discernment on how to love and lead my kids to love and follow Jesus and not just be a a productive member of society, but I'm proclaiming by faith that my kids are going to be world changers in Jesus' name. I don't have access to that because I'm a pastor. I have access to that because I'm a child of God. When I was in my mid-20s, one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life, there was a teenage girl in our youth group that died unexpectedly. Several of our students were there, literally pulled her, her body out of the pool. She was a leader in our student ministry of several hundred students. She was one of the most popular kids in, in her high school. And can I tell you, it wrecked me. I was on a missions trip to Greece at the time, and I wept for hours I was shook to the point that I remember being at her funeral and I had a a part to play in the funeral and I had my notes all typed up and I was shook so much. I leaned over to our other student pastor and said, Blake, I can't do this. 
I am broken. I am shredded. I am torn up. I'm angry and pissed at God. I don't know why he would do this. Why would he take her at this time? And I'm seeing the pain it's causing on students and her parents and her family and kids I've not even met before. I'm seeing teachers and guidance counselors at schools struggling with this. And God, I'm so angry and hurt and broken. And I leaned over to Blake and said, Blake, I can't do this. God whispered in my spirit right now. He said, you can, not because you're a pastor, but because you're a child of God. And I've called you and I've placed you and I know that you're hurting and I know this is hard, but you have the authority of heaven to stand on that stage and tell all of these hundreds of people why we can have hope in Jesus, even though you are broke on the inside. Let me tell you what it means for you. It means if you are a child of God, then you have the authority when you are in the hospital room to pray and claim in the name of Jesus that God would heal somebody. It means that you have the power of heaven and the power of the resurrected Christ to be able to know that temptation is calling your name and to stare sin in the face and say, I don't have to do that. All of heaven is with me right now, leading me to make a different decision. Let me tell you what it means for you as a child of God, that if you are in a busted, broken, struggling marriage right now, then you have everything you need as you are led by the Spirit to get through this dark night and to get through the pain. And as a child of God, you have all of the authority that is required to share Christ with your friend, your family member, and your coworker. You don't have to have the whole Bible memorized. You just have to be the expert in your story. And by the way, you are the expert in your story. And you have the authority to say, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. There's no other label as powerful or comes with more privilege than the label of child of God. So when somebody, whether it's you or someone else, starts shouting that, that label, worthless? Worthless? No, 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 see, you see, I'm a child of God. That old label doesn't fit me anymore. It used to, but not now. You see, as a child of God, I know the power that comes with that label, that I was a slave, but now I am a son or a daughter. I was dead in my sin, but Christ has made me alive. I have a position. I have a title. I have an inheritance. I have rights. I have a privilege. I have hope. I have worth. I have value. I have a future. So you can keep that label, man, because I got a new label, and it fits just fine. I'm a child of God. Let me ask you this question. Are you a child of God? As you've been sitting here today, as, as God confirmed to you, do you feel a confidence that comes with knowing that you are a child of God or, or do you have questions? Are you unsure? Hey, don't mess around with this. Don't miss this moment. because God's calling your name. And I'm just the instrument. I, I'm, the, I'm the speaker 
that's amplifying the message that you are loved, you are chosen, you are sought after, you are bought and paid for, and God desperately desires you to be a child of God because you have worth and you have value because he created you with it, and he wants you to understand what it means when you become his child. Are you worthy to become a child of God? No. You'll never be worthy. We can never be worthy to be called a child of God. But listen to me. As a child of God, we can never be worthless. Worthless. 